I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, business, men and women and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Luke Grech first shot to mainstream stardom in 2017 as the guitarist with Relic, but has played some of Malta's biggest stages, Farson's Beer Festival, where I introduced Luke on stage, Rockestra, Fossos, all part of ILFMTV. But recent years saw a change in the frontman of Relic, and then the pandemic struck, and rather rely on a full-time job of accountancy teacher at St Aloysius and put music on the back burner, Luke did exactly the opposite and expanded his recording studio, Corner House Studios. And on top of that, Luke recently has joined Rob Chapman's internationally renowned band Clockwork Wolf & Co. Luke since has taken the brave decision to put teaching aside for now and concentrate full time on music production and creating in his studio, which coincidentally is where the podcasts, The Interviewer and Empowered are recorded. Which leads me to the first question, Luke, who's pressing the buttons today if you're here with me being interviewed? <laughs> well, um, very good question, actually. Thank you very much. And now, today, you're the man of the moment, which is quite exciting. Yes, it's, it's uh, rather... Um, I mean, it's unusual, the fact that I'm usually you know, taking the seat as a viewer, and obviously I'll be listening to the whole thing unfiltered from the control room, which is, well, a very nice position to have with these kind of interviews, because they're obviously very interesting and very insightful. Um, Are but you yes. sucking up? You're saying a lot of really nice things no, there. No, that's true, because <laughs> it, there have been, you know, like 50 plus interviews and I have had the, the opportunity to, to follow them since day one. And as we were talking, you know, of air recently, it's been almost a year now. Yeah. So I particularly like it when we're having an interview and you're eating a sandwich in the control room, which does yes, happen from yes, time to it time. Yes, it does. But listen, we want to concentrate on you. Mm -hmm. And my first question is going back to the very beginning. Okay. And I've always been trying to get my head around the fact that you took a career in teaching. Mm -hmm. you, you took a career at St. Aloysius teaching accountancy, which is about as far away from music as yes. I could possibly imagine. Yes. And we will be talking about you diving into what you love full time, because mm -hmm. I really want to motivate people okay. to do that. I don't think I've ever seen as many electric guitars in <laughs> one place as you have here at Corner House Studios. So my That's question true. to you is, going back to the very beginning, Okay. What got you into music in the first place? Okay, um, I'm gonna try to keep it concise because that's you know goes back in in history. Um, but yes, what started it all was um, I took up piano lessons when, when I was um, six or seven years of age. Eventually, I continued until I was about sixteen, seventeen. But in the in in the meantime, I uh, eventually started playing at in school masses in St. Aloysius when I was 11 years old. And a few years after that is when we had started uh, being more involved in school concerts and um, making friends who are also musicians at the time, being 14 years of age. Fast forward another couple of years is when we had formed the band Relic. That was in January 07 for the St. Aloysius Battle of the Bands. Eventually, here I am, a 17-year-old teenager, 
play, know how to play the piano and the guitar and still evolving my love for music. But that's very concise because there's a whole bunch that's yes. left out there. So <laughs> let me let me ask, start off by asking, um, okay, p- playing the piano. You started yes. playing the piano when you were seven years old. Uh-huh. And I'm assuming you were encouraged by your parents. Now, when I was seven yes. years old, I was not encouraged by my parents to, to play a musical instrument, okay. but at my school, anybody who is seven at years old... School, secondary school, se- No, the, well, this would have been primary school ah, okay, when okay. I was seven years old. You had to play the recorder. I see. Okay. Yeah, which is an instrument that nobody should have to ever play. <laughs> I still don't understand why till this very day. Um, the recorder of all instruments is the, the, the instrument that you give to a seven-year-old. <laughs> And you play three blind mice on it 15 times. And if you get it wrong, which I did quite often, you get your uh, knuckles wrapped. Okay, corporate punishment. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Luke, your, your parents, did they ask you if you wanted yes. to play the piano? In fact, it was my mother who asked me, listen, um, your cousin Gary is taking up piano lessons. Would you, would you like to go for piano lessons as well? I'm like, yes, sure. It wasn't like sort of um, something I was considering. But, you know, the fact that my cousin was doing it and, and had a positive experience with it, I said, sure, why not? And uh, eventually that snowballed to, that was the start of everything. Sort of. So that was the start of everything. But then what, what point did you pick up the guitar? Because oh. you must have picked up the guitar. You either are a compulsive collector. Yes. <laughs> or you've just worked your way through a lot of guitars. Yes, I started playing guitar when I was 14 years of age. Um, as I had mentioned previously, we used to play at, at school masses. And uh, it was an instrument that always intrigued me. So I first, you know, started playing, you know, basic chords and strumming patterns. And then, obviously, I shifted from playing mass hymns to pop songs or whatever was on the radio at that time. Ah, to take off the point where you mentioned the, the number of guitars here at the studio, um, it, is a, it is quite a familiar term to say um, between us guitarists and musicians in general that um, you would eventually develop gas gear acquisition syndrome. That was obviously the case with me and guitars. I would see all these iconic models, you know, with these Gibsons and Fender Strats and Telecasters and things like that. So since a very early age, playing different styles of music, I never had one style which I eventually um, delved into and just stayed there, which probably explains why today I session with um, many people from different genres and without any kind of musical discrimination at all. Um, if I'm given, like, for example, a hard rock show, I study the solos, study the parts, and make sure that um, I deliver what I'm required. If I'm playing with a, a pop singer and I just need to bring my acoustic guitar and play, you know, a full set of Dua Lipa songs, which I'm a big fan of, yes, as well, um, that was required of me, I study it and I play it. So eventually, um, I wanted to make sure that my arsenal of guitars my guitar arsenal, which, yes, that's a term as well, would provide me with the toolkit I would need to play all the songs from these different styles. I think that's probably the best excuse um, of blagging <laughs> a, a huge collection of guitars I've ever heard. <laughs> well, look, uh, let's talk about the guitars in a second. Let's talk about the music in a second. But okay. I want to just touch on the fact that you're a teacher. You've been a teacher. Yes. Uh, throughout your career so yes. you've got this music career going on in one direction but in the other direction you you're teaching accountancy yes what the actual heck is that <laughs> in fact that was a question that a lot of people pose and anytime I, I either meet an old friend or anything um, usually in sixth form you end up choosing two subjects to focus on like either maths and physics or, or accounting economics and everybody like, um, remind me what class were you? You were in maths and physics class, right? And every time I said, no, I, was, I had an account. So like, seriously? I would never, ever, ever cross my mind. 
Um, recently as well, I had um, at the studio, I had um, a booking for a recording session and one of the people doing a voiceover was Pep Pardi. And uh, he used to teach at St. Augustine's where I used to teach before St. Aloysius. Walking him out after his session, um, I had to mention it to him. I'm like, you used to teach at St. Augustine's, right? It's like, yes, yes. Like, I never used to teach you, right? I'm like, no, no, I wasn't a student of yours, but I used to teach. And obviously I heard that you were a previous um, uh, teacher there. I'm like, really? What did you used to teach? I'm like, accountancy. Like, you did not use to teach accountancy. <laughs> I really can't see you as an accounts teacher. I'm like, really? Like, what do you see me as? Like, you're more of an artist at first glance. Like, okay. That's well, look, <laughs> you have long hair, for crying out loud, <laughs> and, a, and a, a guitarist's beard. <laughs> when true, when you first told me that that's what you did as a full-time job, you were in a, yes. you taught accountancy, I was like, you're <laughs> having a joke, seriously. Well, there is a reason, there is a history to that. Basically, um, the, the local scene, the local music scene, I don't believe it had as many opportunities as it has today to eventually... And there, there were full-time musicians, but... Yeah, you basically can count them on one hand. I always took up business studies, like accountancy and economics, because they genuinely interested me at the time. Um, so I eventually took them up. I, I started BCom, uh, the course BCom at uh, university. Um, uh, finished it. And in the meantime, like in summers and, and even during the university, I always used to work like nine to five office jobs. However, uh, when I graduated, I was like, okay, so now's the time to look for a job, but is going back to a nine-to-five job really the thing I want to do? And I came to terms with myself that, no, that's not the real thing I want to do. So I went back to the drawing board and said, okay, so what's my, what are my options? I've always liked teaching. I've had minimal experiences. I just used to teach a few guitar lessons here and there. But the nature of the job was something I really f find fulfilling. Um, you know, seeing students progress, building that relationship with you, um, and so I took um, a year's full-time course in PGCE, Postgraduate Certificate in Education. Then I got the opportunity for a job interview at St. Aloysius, which was this, the school where I used to go to as a student. It was a very nice experience. It brought back a lot of memories, walking the same corridors I used to do when I was um, 11 years old. Well, we're going to come to you giving that up uh -huh. in a few moments. But to reflect back on the introduction of me detailing what you had done and you'd also going through your your career mm -hmm. your music career very very quickly tell me what the highlight of your music mm. career has been because you've stood in on stage in front of thousands of people uh, but mm. you also have opened your own studio so to date yes. if you could say right now to date what would be the biggest achievement or the thing that gives you the biggest buzz hmm. that's a very hard question because um even when people ask me what's your favorite song or your favorite guitarist, there there are so many there are so many answers to that question that um, it's difficult to pinpoint one. However, um, you can have three. I can have three. Okay, thank you for just, for, just for broadening you. the options for me. Yes, <laughs> obviously, playing in in large scale events with with lots of audiences that's a thrill on its own. However, um, rather than having one experience, I think managing to be accessible and be approachable in a way that you can work with as many different people and have so many different learning experiences from each artist you work with, I think that is the most rewarding experience. The fact that through my studio and through being a session guitarist, the fact that I can play with different people from different walks of life, walks of musical lives, and each and every one can share something, a part of themselves, 
through the way they play or through the, the experience you have with them at the studio. I think that is the most rewarding the rewarding thing you can actually hope for in being a musician. Like you can never say that you've made it, sort of, because you've always have something new to learn from someone different. And that someone different can be someone who is has a wealth of experience because he's uh, like 40, 50 years of age and he has like 30 years of experience in touring or 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 playing or whatever. And he can also be the student that you'll end up teaching and uh, through, you know, something that is um, through a current song or through something that he has uh, discovered through, you know, researching on YouTube or whatever, he can impart that to you. So that is always um, a, a nice experience to, to have. Well, I love the fact that you've gone back to the learning and the teaching as well, even in music. But I have no doubt that standing in, on the stage in front of thousands of people is a bit of a buzz as well yes yes in fact the offhand the experiences i've played which had the the biggest audiences i love mtv um and also re up until recently malta rocks which has been the same stage the the big stage they usually set up for the granaries in floriana um and it's always a nice experience being there i was also a guitar tech for matthew james borch um i wasn't on stage playing but i was on stage, um, you know, as a part of a crew with, with Ben, Bailey and, and, and Matthew. And uh, either way, either any part of the, of the, you know, stage experience, whether you're backstage, on stage, or even providing backline, which is the rental of equipment for these kinds of events. Um, this year, I was lucky enough to provide the snare drum and the floor tom from my drum kit for the BBC Orchestra when they played It's a Kind of Magic. My drum kit as well for Malta Rocks and um, even some guitars for the guitarist who played with the uh, rhythm section for Joseph Kalea recently as well. And that ties in with the, with the you know, sort of sickness of owning too many guitars, at least through these opportunities. You can justify it. Yes, because at least you're trying, you're making some money off of, of the, the, the guitars. Uh, it's very hard to, to get all your money's worth back, you know, from the guitars, but... I have no doubt. Yes. But you mentioned there, you talked about uh, big concerts. We talked about Fossos. We talked about yes. the, when the BBC came. And the BBC yes. came part, as part of mm -hmm. the lineup for 2019. Exactly. And we've had this conversation over and over again. 2019, probably the biggest year in music yes. and performing arts in Malta. It was huge. Yes. It was a fantastic year. And there you were up on stage doing all sorts of gigs and so on. And then beginning of 2020, pandemic mm. hit. And what's really interesting is that you haven't shied away from the pandemic. It's actually made you yes. more driven. How did the pandemic impact you, both as a musician and a producer, and your recording studio? What happened? Well, funnily enough, uh, I still remained busy during the pandemic. Even from a recording perspective, um, it was a question of a shift in the kind of bookings I, w I was getting. Obviously, most songwriters and most artists have used the time to uh, own their craft and, and maybe write more and, and practice more. Um, and then, obviously, because finances play a part as well, those who wish to allocate some of their finances, since it was obviously a tough time financially as well, um, they... Some of some artists actually thought that it was a good idea to use this time to even record some of that material. So that was from a music perspective. But I actually got 
the recordings of podcasts, this being one of them. So that started during the end of the pandemic as well, or towards the pandemic. Even the recording of audio plays. So uh, there were theater companies who were going to eventually organize productions in front of audiences. But since they didn't want to throw all their work away, they had to find ways how to shift their product and being able to deliver it in, in a different way, hence being the audio play, to their audiences. So I literally had, for example, one of the projects I still remember was converted to an audio play and we had to record most of the um, sounds ourselves, like the kettle boiling. I remember plugging a, an XLR to, to a preamp here in the control room, which was long enough to get the mic next to the kettle and, and have it boiling. Or then switching that mic next to the sink to get the water there. And maybe a door closing, literally getting the mic next to a, a door handle and closing it. Um, the, the crunching of biscuits, literally, you know, in the live room. And to, to simulate someone falling off a cliff, basically, place the microphone. Uh, hang on, hang on. How do, you, how do you simulate somebody falling off a cliff, yeah. Luke? Good, good, good question. I was getting to that. Um, we placed a microphone right here in the middle of the live room. And I got the, the person who was uh, doing the voice of this character to take off his shoes um, and... Basically, we rubber banded a towel on his feet um, to obviously not to make any noises of footsteps. And I told him to walk from one end of the room to the other, shouting at a distance from the microphone. Um, actually, it was two microphones because we recorded that in stereo. And as he was walking from one side of the room to the other, I had the microphones panned hard left and hard right. And that obviously, since he was a good two or three meters away from the mic, and moving, that simulated the sound of someone going from one place to another, hence the depth of the fall, um, simulating the, the So no fall. health and safety needed? No, no. It was fully <laughs> a, f a fully safe procedure, yes. Look, you've obviously entered into the pandemic and, and businesses started to really work for you and Corner House Studios mm -hmm. because, as you said, there other, there's a lot of people that had to migrate on to... A, an audio-based production, exactly. myself included. Yes. But at what point, and this is what I really want to drive home today because mm -hmm. I really have so much respect for you and anybody who pursues what they their heart really wants them to do. But at what point did you say, I'm going to let go of being a teacher, mm -hmm. which is essentially, and particularly in a pandemic, a mm -hmm. safe career. Yes. And I'm going to go into full-time music or audio production. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this ties with uh, something you mentioned earlier, like, you know, how the pandemic affected me. Most of this thought process started when, obviously, we were all stuck inside. Everyone was doing their jobs from home, um, everyone resorting to Zoom teams and, and finding ways how to deliver their, their, their service or ways how to make their living through an online um, platform. And uh, obviously I was giving lessons from my laptop inside my studio control room. I used to have obviously like a song to edit or, or, or to mix at the time. And in between lessons, I used to finish my lesson, close my laptop, move a couple of inches to the right on my office chair in, in my control room and there I am instantly continuing on the edit I had left off the previous day and after a week or two of doing this I started saying to myself ah so this is what it feels like to be sort of waking up in the morning 
editing or, or still working at the studio. But it never actually crossed my mind, listen, this is something you can do. Because as I said earlier, opportunities were quite minimal 10 to 15 years ago. However, I'm not actually full-time as of yet because I took a sabbatical, which is basically a year off from, from teaching. And what made me come to that decision um, wasn't solely the purpose of pursuing music full-time. It was basically a mix of, of reasons. Um, and it was a mix of personal reasons and eventually, obviously, having a year of unpaid, um, not getting a wage. You Obviously, it was quite a given that I'm going to resort to music to, to uh, make ends meet financially in, in this time where I would be not working as a teacher. Uh, however, what got me thinking there during the pandemic was the importance to be with loved ones. From my perspective, I was working in mornings until about two or three where school ends, normal school day. I make lunch. Then eventually I would finish the project or whatever I'd be working on at the studio and then go upstairs, maybe watch a movie with my wife. In the weekends, we wouldn't be able to obviously meet in large groups. So we'd have a small group of friends over, uh, maybe get some takeout or if we cook together. And you'd start actually experiencing the simple things. So the fact that I got to spend more time with my wife and close friends was very, uh, a big eye-opener. And what was even more of an eye-opener, as much as I got to spend time with um, my wife and my friends, I did not get to spend almost any time at all with family, which were my parents. And obviously the in-laws were both me and my wife used to be invited for Sunday lunches. And all that obviously couldn't make that happen because both my parents are in their 60s. Technically, they were considered as vulnerable people during the day. And what was the most heartbreaking thing is my mom would still cook for us, would like us to come over. So what we used to do was when she used to prepare a meal, she would either drop it off behind the door and then leave. Uh, or, or when we used to go pick it up, she used to leave it at her doorstep and, and she used to open the little window on the, uh, at the side of the main door of their house and she just used to wave. And the um, accumulation of all these things would, would eventually bring you to, to start thinking, like, what, what's the mo what are the most important things in life? Fair enough. But of course, you've mentioned that you're on technically on a sabbatical yes. from being a teacher. So there must have been a lot of things about this decision mm -hmm. in the middle of a pandemic, yes. which even though you have a safety net because you're on a sabbatical, uh -huh. you, you must have. Have you never sort of thought twice about this and gone full time music? Really? Yes, I have many times and I have had countless friends telling me, when are you going to make the leap? When are you going to make the leap? Um, it's true, yes, yes. Um, well, I think it's a question of, of being in, insecure of the job security, sort of, you know? Being, being a full-time musician, as nice as it sounds and as much of a dream job it would be, you need to get used to sort of not earning a consistent wage, um, which means you can safely budget for things. Um, you know your bills are going to be paid regularly. With music, unless obviously you teach music, which even that can be inconsistent at times because 
can easily have lessons on a weekend and and you'd have to cancel because you have soundtracks for a musical which runs on several amount of days or if you have a gig or a wedding or a soundtrack for for a concert they might take up time from your lessons but it it sort of meddles with the inconsistency of the lessons as well i mean your students need to follow some sort of equal progress from time to time um so going back to the fact that the, the income is inconsistent and even the workload is inconsistent as well. You might have a few projects during a month and then you might have 10 projects in a span of three weeks. You're not going to be picky and, and reject work because you want to pace yourself. But you might end up in points where you have to accept work because you never know if the next month is going to be completely dry or it's going to be you know well enough to sustain you again. But teaching accountancy, yes. whilst you love it, mm -hmm. is following your head. Yes. Doing what you're doing now mm -hmm. is following your heart. Yes, definitely. So my question to you is, would you recommend mm -hmm. to anybody else to follow their heart? I would definitely say yes. I would definitely, definitely recommend it. Um, it needs to be a mix of both, though, because following your heart blindly can be, uh, bottom line, a stupid decision. Because you need to make sure that in whatever walk of life you're in, if, you, if either you're single, you're married, or without kids, or married with kids, or you can have, you know, like 10 pets at home to feed. And all these are different kinds of responsibilities. So, so you need to make sure that whatever you do, even if it's taking a leap of faith to do what you love, make sure that in doing that, you have enough money to sustain yourself, but you have enough time to invest in what keeps you sane. The classic saying goes, perform a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life, which is true. So it's easy to get carried away when you're doing a job that you love to do, you know, endless amount of extra hours because then they're never going to be seen as extra by yourself or by people who are passionate in the same sector or industry or craft. So my last question to you, Luke Gregg, musically, okay. in your career as a musician, as a producer, as an artist, is this what you love? You've just talked about doing what you love. Is uh -huh. this what you love or is there still more to come from Luke Gregg? Very interesting question because yes, it is. I am doing what I love and what I love is music in general. Um, one of the things that COVID as well has taught me was not to put all my eggs in one basket. And that means that as a musician, I own a recording studio. So I'm producing music, which is something I really, really love doing. I am still a session guitarist, and that ties into what I said earlier as well about the joys of being able to play and learn from different artists, be it singers, other musicians, etc. And also teaching music, which is something I'm currently doing as well. And um, all three are as equally fulfilling as, um, as I could have possibly ever imagined. So if there's more to come, I think more of these three, I would say, and um, you mentioned clockwork earlier. Um, Rob Chapman, who is uh, a good friend of mine, once we got, uh, we got into this, this deep discussion about making it. Basically, the notion of making it is most people see the term making it as being the, the person in the limelight, having all that fame and fortune. But... Rob actually um, made me realize that making it isn't 
really you know being on all the billboards and being well known and 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 making tons of money for just you know playing one concert and things like that that is the superficial stuff that we are fed to by the media however and rob had a huge point about this making it is doing what you love on a daily basis that is sustainable both from a fulfilling point of view and as well from a financial point of view so if me as a guitarist whether i'm playing an acoustic gig bang in the middle of the week or whether I'm, i have the opportunity to play a huge gig at fossos we mentioned earlier whether i'm recording an up-and-coming artist it doesn't matter if i'm doing what i love doing in a consistent manner and it's still fulfilling then that is what matters at the end of the day then technically you have made it Luke Grek, you have made it. We've made it to the end of the interview. You have been on the other side of the mic today, and I have loved listening to you talking about your career, but also talking about that really big decision yes. to follow your heart. Thank you for having me, and also thanks for the opportunity for myself to be a guest on your show. Um, it's been an awesome interview, and looking forward to your next ones. Mm -hmm.